record button now. <laughs> We're going to back up. I'm going to start all over, okay? Just kidding. Okay, so Genesis 3, 1 through 24. Unprecedented week three. Talking about Jesus. We're going to have a series within a series. Okay. For those of you who are listening, eventually, I totally forgot to hit start. All right. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field than the Lord God had made. It's probably good that the first part was in there because hold on somebody that might listen to this. So he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Vanessa, can you do me a favor? You do what you do. I need you. This is pre-launch. We're still working out kinks like all my mess over here. Lights look good, though, once they started working. Third time's the charm. Now, the serpent is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God not actually say you shall eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, I'm going to stop right there. A little teaching for a minute before I get into preaching. Um, I think it's really interesting that sometimes we have this ability to restrict ourselves more than what God has put upon us. I think the world has this tendency to be in this place of rejecting following Christ because of everything that they think they have to give up. But when we truly say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to so much more than we're saying no to. Now, yes, I say no to a lot of things because I've said yes to Jesus. But I miss out on nothing because I've said yes to Jesus. I miss out on nothing because I've said yes to Jesus. There are things that once I say yes to Jesus, I no longer participate in. But there are so many more things that once I say yes to Jesus that I get to take part in. There are celebrations and experiences and encounters and blessings and benefits that I get to walk in as a result of saying yes to Jesus that I never had at my disposal because before then. So here we have a situation where the serpent says, Did God really say you can't eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman says, we will not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat, she says. But God says of God, she says that God said, I'll get it right here in a second. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Look at me, with me, to just over one chapter, to Genesis chapter 2. This is not in my notes, per se. I wasn't going to actually go there, but I, I think it's important. Important that we all see this together. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Listen to what God really says. Verse 16. This is so, when I first saw this, it blew my mind. And it says, we'll back up to 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not go and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is good for it is not good for man to be alone. What was missing there? Did God say you cannot touch it? I think it's interesting because we've got this scenario where the serpent asks Eve what she can't do. And Eve has put extra demands upon herself of what she cannot do. Now, is it healthy for her to tempt herself and to go touch the tree? No. But it's so mind-blowing to me that all she could focus on was so many things. She's in the garden. She's got so many things at her disposal. She can eat from anything of the garden. But this one tree and its fruit. Serpent questions her. She says, not only can I not eat it, but God says I can't touch it. And I think that's something we deal with in the area of sin in our lives. Is we're so focused on what we cannot do, we forget all the good that we can do. We get so focused on the one thing that we're focused on not doing that we fail to see to so many things that we can do. That the tree becomes the biggest thing in our lives and we get this tunnel vision and we forget the blessings and the benefits and the goodness that God has for us. And just a sidebar, if you're trying to overcome something in your life and all you see and all you're focused on day after day is today I'm going to get up and I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. And then for the next hour, I'm not going to. And then I'm not going to. We're spending so much time focusing on what we're not going to do and we forget to focus on the God in which we're going to partake in that the temptation is the only thing that our eyes are fixed on. And I promise you, every time you will be drawn to not only do, but lose. So on a sidebar, don't focus on what you cannot touch or eat, partake in. Focus on what you have and can live in and be part of. Verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely die, for, or you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent had a partial truth there. He said, You will not die. Of course, we know that um, they would die just because now they're moving into a life where there is an end for them. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to many to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Pause. Men who are married. Later on, we're going to read where Adam accused his wife. The woman you gave me, God. Now, I'm going to venture to say that, men, it is our job to protect our wives. We see in this situation right here that Adam was present the entire time that Eve was planting. What if, or should I say, how about we step in and do a better job of protecting our wives? Guarding them, shielding them, being the, the men that are, we're supposed to be leading our homes with spiritual authority, not lording over our homes. This isn't a, a, a message where I'm telling you, men, you need to step up and, and rule your homes with an iron fist. No. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, but protect her. Pray for her. Stand in the gap. Be in front when the enemy attacks instead of behind. 
watching her. The church is guilty of letting our wives, men, we are guilty of letting our wives do all the spiritual authority things and do all the things of, of um, spiritual warfare in our house homes. Our wives are, are, have been the pr- better prayer warriors in our homes than us men. And I'm telling you, our wives need to be great pr- prayer warriors. The enemy needs to be scared to death of our wives. Men, we need to have women that are absolutely on fire for God and that the enemy is totally terrified of. But men, he ought to be scared as all get out of us too. And we need to not let our wives be the only ones that are able to attack the enemy in our homes. Amen? Come on, men. Let me hear you say something. What I say? I know. Yeah, say something. Good. I know, men, you don't want to use up your 12 words you have for the day. All right. I have a friend that preached a similar message along that lines for an entire message. He said something really bad, and I was trying really hard not to say that. Anyway, I'll have to show you that video sometime. So, <coughs> da, 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 da. all right, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There's a picture here that I would love to experience, not pre-sin, but post. And they saw or they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. They walked with him in the garden. They experienced him in reality, in full expression of his glory. Because they were sinless. There was nothing that was part of their lives that could separate them from the full expression of the glory of God. Before. So here's God and he's walking in the garden. Can you imagine a life with this kind of closeness to the presence of God? But here they are and they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. This is a concept that had never been experienced. This is something that they didn't know what to do beforehand. Fear crept in. This is the first expression of fear ever experienced in the Bible. Fear was something Adam and Eve had never had to deal with until their eyes were opened from eating of this fruit. In nakedness, there was no shame in who they were. So all of a sudden, because of this one thing, they've experienced fear and they've experienced shame. Says I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, "Who told you you were naked?" Is the message I'll get to preach someday around that. Who told you you were? Who told you you were like that? There's a lie that the enemy has put out that has tried to tell us we are something other than what we are. 
some depth in that right there. He told you, Heidi, you were part of that. You were there when we heard that message. <laughs> I am not afraid of stealing other people's messages. I'll tell you that right now. Keith Adamson. I'll, I'll pick it up here in just a minute, just so you know. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Now, we've all said it was he blamed the woman. Do you see what just happened? He blamed God. How many times have we gotten so caught up in the struggles, the the Fear has crept in. Shame has crept in, crept in. And we find ourselves in the pit. We find ourselves, everything's coming against us. We find ourselves in a situation that, that the world is against us. Our finances are in terrible uh, shambles. And, and all of a sudden, we have made a mess of life for ourselves. And all we know what to do is to blame something. So we blame God. This is what Adam has done here. He has blamed the one who gave him everything for the condition of his soul right here. The woman who you gave me, God. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. All this blame, someone else, it's not, listen, own up to what you have done. There is so much easier and quicker forgiveness when we own up to what we've done and just simply say, God, forgive me. I've messed up. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse you above the livestock and above the beasts of the field, and your belly shall go on the dust, and you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and she will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. You shall yeah. In pain you shall eat of the, all the days of your life, and thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you reach the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, you shall dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. There's a picture here that we can't get into today. And then God said... Behold, the man has become like one of us. It's an interesting. Who's God talking about when he says like one of us? Is Jesus with him at this moment? Knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him one of the most tragic, depressing, sad scriptures in the entire Bible. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken. He drove the man, and, the, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed cherubim and flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. At this moment, man has separated from God. This moment, man has separated. No longer would they walk together in the garden. No longer 
would they walk arm in arm with God. No longer would there be a way in which they could even communicate back and forth. They have lost the encounter. They have lost the presence of God. They have lost what God so desperately wanted. The purpose why God had created man. But to the point, the greatest rescue plan was put into motion. Read, don't read with me, but listen to this. This is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. A great, great thing my kids love to read. And it says, you see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would be always running away from him and hiding in the dark. I don't know if I'm describing anyone in there, this room or anyone you might. Not me, but I know somebody. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever. Not in such pain. Not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You will have to leave them. God told his children, his eyes, this is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them and then sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would have all been over and that would have been the end. Not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he would, he knew he would suffer. Even though God knew he would suffer. God had a plan. A magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do a battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness and let you in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would one day. God himself would come. That's what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes as I wrap up. God himself would come. From the very beginning, in this moment, God would begin to stage a rescue plan. God would begin to put something in order to rescue his people. And from Adam to Moses, from Moses to David, David through the kings, all the way through the prophets into the time of Joseph and Mary, and into today. The greatest rescue plan that no special forces that any army could put together could even compare. The greatest rescue plan has been put in motion. We see this in the life of Jesus. We're abbreviating it in Romans chapter 5, verses 
12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The free gift, the free gift is not like the trespass. For in many died through one man's trespass, but much more have grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment of the following one trespass bought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Hallelujah. Now, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me give you some observations this morning taken from this chapter in Romans about our need for Jesus. Just a few observations. I believe there's four of them. (coughs) Observation number one. Man died by one. By one, many received grace. Because of one, man died. But because of one, we will all live forever. What an awesome thing to experience. We see this in verses 14 and 15 here in in Romans. It says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The Bible references that Adam Adam or Jesus is the second Adam. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, you see, what Adam did there in the garden set us all on a course of sin. It put the nature within us. It opened the door for us to walk a life of separation. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And that word death isn't, I no longer cease to breathe. It's a total separation from the presence of God. You see, when Adam and Eve walked out of the garden, were, 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 um, were no longer able to stay in the garden, when they were banished from the garden, the moment they stepped out of the garden and stepped out of the presence of God, they died. That was their death because they were no longer in the presence of God. Separation from the presence of God. But we have a king. His name is Jesus. He's come to this earth. And he has come so that we may have life. 
He has come to reestablish in our lives the ability, the connection back to God. He has come so that he can now clothe us. You see, Adam and Eve, they were clothed to hide their shame. We are now clothed to become righteous again so that we can enter in to the presence of God and experience something that was lost in the garden that we can now have. Now, we may not be back in the garden today, but we now have access to the very presence of God. Where we lost it by one, we got it back by another. His name was Jesus. Point number two, one trespass. Sorry, these aren't really short and starting with the same letter. One trespass brought condemnation. Ooh, there's a big typo. Sorry about that. One trespass brought condemnation. One gift. Big typo up there. One gift brought justification for many trespasses. One trespass brought condemnation. But one gift brought justification for many trespasses. Verse 17 says, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned, Through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. You getting this? You getting this thing? You following what I'm where I'm we're going on this? That it may have been all ruined by one, but was all reestablished by the other. Adam messed it all up for us, but Jesus made it all right. It was wronged by Adam and righted by Christ. This isn't something that someday we get to walk in. It isn't something that someday we get to experience. It is a here and now, and it is only for those who call upon the name of Jesus as their Lord that have said, I do know that Jesus walked on this earth as a man. He was fully God. He vacated heaven as God, and he came to earth as man. And for 33 years, he walked a sinless, blameless life, and he took that sinless, blameless life, was put on a cross, taken upon his life, all of our sin, everything that we could could have been blamed for and he took it and he hung upon the cross for us and after dying a horrific death he went into a tomb as a dead man and three days later after conquering death hell and the grave he came out of that tomb and he made all the wrong right he took all the separation upon our lives and brought us back into connection and fellowship with God I say I believe that and I know it and I say it is for my life and I can walk in it and now he is in heaven next to the right hand of God making intercessions for me. Wow. He's saying, God, see our people that we have made right. See, you don't have to see what they did yesterday. All you have to do is see me and what I have done. Point number three, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, many were made righteous. It's a little redundancy, but I think you got to get it this way. Verse 19 says, for by, <laughs> for 
For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. See how I just pulled this straight from Scripture? Didn't have to get too creative here. So by one man's obedience, the many were made righteousness. See, all throughout the law, it was established by Moses. There was only one way to be made righteous. It was multiple ways, but it was blood that had to be shed. It had to be done multiple times. It wasn't a lasting shed blood. It wasn't a once and for all. But we will learn through this series within a series about the lasting shed blood. And we'll look at the order of Melchizedek and we'll look at what Jesus has done. And I'm telling you, we will sit in this room and as I preach i'm going to tell you right now as i share and teach out of what jesus has done to give us access we will begin to experience something in the within the presence of god in this room without worship music but i'm telling you you're going to have an encounter with god like you've never experienced through the preaching of the word whenever i get to talk about this it will blow your mind and i'm telling you that there became through Jesus a lasting sacrifice, a lasting shed blood that was a once and for all. My last point, sin reigns in death, but grace reigns in righteousness, leading us to eternal life in Jesus Christ. So, verse 21, that as sin reigned in death, see, I didn't pull these points too far. Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading us to eternal life. But in closing, Christian, that time, get the whole. If I can get Brad and Heidi back up, because I really think we need to focus on Jesus for, man, just like five more minutes after I'm done. Try to have us out of here as close to noon as possible. I think uh, Abba might be a really good one. Um, Really. Conclude it with one idea or one point. John 17, 3 says, Well, back up. John 3, 16, one of the most quoted and memorized scriptures in all the world, I think. I could be wrong. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would have what? Eternal or everlasting life. We read that and we don't define what everlasting life is. Ooh, that's a great scripture, but what am I getting? Everlasting life. Great. What is that? John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life. That you may know. And that, that's not know of. I told people several times this week, people that I know, they don't know me. Is that knowing them? Listen, he will know you as well. They will this is eternal life, that they will know you. Jesus and God's conversation. They will know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent me. Eternal life is knowing. And I'm going to tell you, eternal life doesn't begin the day you die. Eternal life begins the day you know. I'm going to ask you, it's still morning, so a few more minutes. Do you know Jesus this morning.
of you know him, not know of him. There's a scripture in the Bible where some people come before Jesus. They say, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick in your name? Jesus says, but I did not know you. Depart from me, he says. See, we've got this opportunity before us this morning to know him. And this is what knowing him looks like. Love what he loves. And you'll live that in your life. You love what he loves, and you hate what he hates. Can we just take a moment? Let's bow our bow our heads, close our eyes. Father God, in this room, in this moment, every one of us just takes takes time right now to examine, examine ourselves. I want to ask everyone in here to, to ask yourselves a couple of questions. Number one, ask, am I living my life as if I'm in control or in charge? Am I living my life as Jesus is, is in control or in charge? Question number two, do I really love what he loves? Or do I really hate what he hates? Depending on how you answered that question, you either living an eternal life or you are not. It's that simple. And Romans 8, 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're dealing with something that is causing you to feel like something's coming against you or you're not right, that's not condemnation, that's conviction. The thing about conviction is once you get right with God, you don't have to feel bad about the past. You can feel great about your future. So if we can all just pray together, if you'll just repeat after me. Father God, pray to you in the name of Jesus. Help me today to love what you love and to hate what you hate. Today, I commit to serve you. I recognize today that Jesus did come and he did walk this earth. That he did die a horrific death on the cross and I am so excited that he did come alive 
resurrected three days later. He is alive, and I know it. And I commit my life to serve Him. Not just around other people who are serving Him, but every day. Sunday and Monday, throughout the week, my life in service to Jesus. Well, everybody's still got their eyes closed, heads bowed. I want to I just want to ask you, is there anyone in this room that would say I didn't realize it before I walked in, but now I know that I wasn't I wasn't living in eternity. I'd say, I, as of now, I'm, I'm right with God. Based on what we've talked about today, based on how I've just prayed and how I've examined my heart and my soul, when I walk out of here today, I'm going to walk out of here right with God. I came in not right, and now I'm right. Is there anyone here that would raise your hand and say, that's me? Together's we're all right, all right with God. Can we just sing that Abba together? Maybe sing that bridge, go into Abba, and just, I'm not going to get on the drums, keep it real sweet. And I'm going to fix my computer so it doesn't do that one of these weeks. And let's just, as we say, I belong to you, it's really what's going on belong to you. That's a continuation of our prayer. Amen? Go ahead.
Father God, I thank you so much for this sweet presence in this room. And I don't want to stop. I don't want to leave this, but I'm so thankful for what you do in this place. It goes with us out of this place. I don't ever want to get to the place that we have to come here for our only encounters with you. But Lord, when we come here, it is a corporate expression of what you've already been doing in our lives throughout the week. thank you so much for that. I thank you so much for that. Lord, for those that raise their hands today, Lord, I celebrate. We call today a new day for them. This is a big day. This is a new day.
met with Jesus. How many of you know people that need to meet with Jesus like we met with Jesus? Hey, let's get some people here so they can encounter Jesus and we can encounter Jesus away from here as well. Make some differences in people's lives together. Amen? Amen. Well, God's good. God's awesome.